You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. I'm sure you believe it, but it's kind of different when you hear from someone. So next week we're going to prepare things. It was a very tedious trying to get home. I didn't realize, on at least on our end, I guess we don't have the same anointing as HH does because apparently he made it home with no issues. At one point, I'll try to do a discreet switch up on my mics here if I can see if we can do this without a lot of popping sounds. Sorry, I'm still... You don't get jet lag from Cuba except well, the way we travel, we do get jet lag from Cuba because we were on... Let's flip the room. There you go. was awesome you know of course it has its challenges and we, I came back you know really with a lot of information with a lot of, a lot of planning and those of you that have cube on your heart well you know we'll give you guys a full report next week but let me tell you the the church is alive and well and first thing I caught back you know when I got home and maybe side I can testify since she's the one that was there of this <laughs> this morning here um, was somehow we're doing this thing wrong a little bit, right? I mean, we're doing a lot of good things, but when you get into their praise and worship, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah y'all just need, well, y'all need to go home and find out what's going on because it is at a whole different... Not, it's not so much, you know, it's not the music, it's not the instruments, it's not that. It's just the desire for God. You know, I've been doing this for 10 years, but I don't know, this year just hit me harder, I guess. It was like so on. And, of course, Cuba is going through probably their worst that I've ever seen it. And it was bad when I see it, you know. So if you multiply that, you know, we couldn't, some places you can find anything. I mean, or empty shelves, so forth and so on. So we'll, we'll get to all that. But again, thank you guys, everyone online, church that's watching us. You truly make a difference. Um, you know, it's really hard just to come and talk about stuff or even show pictures. But when you're there and you live it and you breathe it, that's why I'm asking next week, you know, um, Saito will come up and give her perspective. And I want H, of course. H was out of, I guess it was too much travel for him or something, but he's not here today, so whatever. <laughs> He didn't get enough coffee. He didn't get enough Cuban coffee this morning. So, but like I tell you, I think we're on track. And, you know, the trip was very significant for a lot of us, especially for me, because it was really, for me, it was kind of decisive because I was playing with the idea, you know, really what is my part of that. You know, I'm dealing with Cuba, and at the same time, I'm getting emails from Ukraine and the crisis there. And, and you know, so we can't drop that either. You know, we're, right now we're in the process. The last thing we got is we're trying to figure out how to get a van to move people, you know, instead they're trying to purchase a van, the people that we've worked for, to try to just move people out of the Kiev back to the Polish border. And, you know, so that, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bore you with all that, but that's, if you look at my life, you know, you got emails coming from Ukraine, you got some trades coming from Cuba, and they're like, wow, you know, we got Faithway in Hebronville, praise God, you know, because you know what, it's the, the strength is your heart behind it. You know, God trusts us with stuff. You know, he doesn't need a lot of numbers. He just needs to get things done. And I can tell you, i got some praise reports. You know, one, I'll just share this one because, you know, one of the big things we've been trying to do for many, many years 
And again, there's a lot of details here, and I'll show you what your part is of it later, but to try to air condition the church building in Cuba is like this. I mean, there's a lot of levels of here. Number one, you, you hardly ever find any church anywhere in that island with air conditioning, number one. Number two, it is, um, Yanis has been there, of course, and Miriam and Araceli and Angie. And in the summer, that is an oven. I mean, it's not even an oven. It's a steam bath oven, okay? And, and um, it's really, really hot, really difficult. But it's not even about that. Here's the thing. So we've managed, you know, through going there and conversations and working, you know, quite jointly with, with um, Faith Exchange New York, Pastor Dan and, you know, their team and their vision. So it looks like, you know, we're, there's some adjustments, but we have allocated and it's secured. That doesn't mean we're off the hook. We know we need to, to believe. Again, those of you that believe in this, this is for you. If you don't, that's, you know, if they say, well, Cuba's not my thing, that's fine. But we've managed in this trip to find about $13,000 somewhere, not just on our end. And there will be an air conditioning system installed. And I'm believing God that by the time our team gets there in July, you guys will get to use it. All right. That is huge. Don't just think, oh, that's just an air conditioning system. No, it is a lot bigger than an air conditioning system because it, it sends a message to, you know, everybody, the community. And another thing, people were just going to go to church and just get out of the heat, right? And once you're there, and, you know, it's already running about 200, easy 200 people each service and, you know, think about two services. So anyhow, the church is flourishing, and, and I'm excited because that was like a, something... But it's like everything, you know, when we acquired the farm, it was so far out there. But our job was to believe for it. Amen? So we came back with that. So we're really excited to see that. And then, of course, a lot of other plans that are going on. But um, I said Cuba is on track. Cuba, as, as, you know, financially, they're going probably the worst I've ever seen. But the church is alive and well. And the church is on fire. And it's still our, you know, we're still very much connected. And a lot of good things. You know, we got a church coming up on the farm already. We got the structure. You know, so that's exciting. And the house is growing, and we were able to, this was directly us, to finish one of the completely finished, we are going to, let me put it this way, the money's going to go down there, we'll finish a complete room for the people that are living there. So, I mean, there's a lot of details, and all this will be presented to you properly, all right? So, let's get into the Word this morning, and I want to start a a three-part series. Why three parts? Because the third part will end on Resurrection Sunday, all right? So we are moving into, like, the most important part of our lives. You know, as a Christian life, you know, we have, even more so than the celebration of Christmas, should be the celebration of resurrection of Christ. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Because, you know, Christmas, first of all, don't, you know, I'm not going to bust your bubble, but Jesus wasn't born in December. That's okay. We celebrate. I love Christmas. I like the whole Christmas thing. I like Christmas trees and gifts. But, you know, but what is vitally important to us more, even more so than the birth, is his death and resurrection. If we don't connect to that, then, you know, we can end up with just maybe a religion. So I want to kind of take you through, and it came from something that I taught in Cuba, you know, and, and as I was thinking of coming home and, you know, where we're going with this, the Lord really kind of brought me back to some fundamentals. So I want to just go right into it this morning, and, and the, the name of the series is simply called Never Lose Sight. Never Lose Sight, and, and the cross and beyond. And, and why I titled it this, because sometimes the cross becomes just really just the symbol of our faith, which is wonderful. No issues there. But, you know, in, in first century times, the cross was a symbol of a lot of pain and destruction. You know, nobody would have ever imagined that Christians would carry a cross as a symbol of their faith. Again, nothing wrong with that. I, I like crosses. You know, I got a cross tattooed on my body, all right? That's how much I believe in the cross. But my point of it is the cross in the first century was a weapon of, of a lot of pain and a lot of destruction and torture, and it was a symbol of... 
a symbol of, um, you know, of death. Well, but the cross, you know, is not only mentioned in the Gospels. The cross does not just stop with the crucifixion. You know, Paul keeps bringing this thing up, this idea. So he's not talking about a cross, a physical, you know, two pieces of wood. He's talking about what it represents because cross, you know, Paul did not let go of the idea of the cross. And sometimes as Christians, we have the tendency to say, okay, I need to get to the cross of Jesus because unless I understand that, I will not be saved. I will not receive. You know, I will not be able to get to heaven. Well, the cross is not what saved you. It's Jesus. Y'all okay with that? But we look at it like the beginning of, of our new life, which it is. You know, you could say, okay, this is where my new life started. I could go all the way back to 1992 and say this is where, my, where I met Jesus and my life radically changed. But if we're not careful, we forget about the cross. And we walk into Christianity and we try to navigate with all the different dynamics that Christianity has and our responsibility and trying to be nice, you know, trying to absorb, trying to do the best we can with what, what we are called to do. And if we're not careful, we lose sight of the cross. And Paul made sure we never lost sight of that because, you know, that's the tendency. Let's talk about the promises. Let's see, you know, the cross is behind me now. Jesus is in front of me, and that's correct. But if you ever wander from the, sacrifice, from the point of sacrifice, if you, if you leave that point of sacrifice, what happens, the very first thing that happens, you begin to depend on yourself. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons we learn from the cross. The cross represents a place where we're done. I don't know how you, what, what your life is, but I remember September of 1992, I was done. You know, I had managed to destroy my life to the best of my ability. And at that point, it was either God or the end. And thank God I chose God, right? Amen. But it, it represents that moment. But throughout the years of, you know, which, you know, 30 years ago now, um, from that event, it reminds me. To me, I'm just not being personal. I'm not in the teaching. It just, what does it mean to me? I, I, I never forget. I never forget the hole that God dug me out of. Amen. Because the moment I forget it, I will become arrogant. I will become prideful. And I will lose focus. So really, you know, kind of introducing it, that's, that's why the title's called Never Lose Sight. You know, never lose sight. All right, let's go to the first one, Archie. Let's just go and take it from there. So Luke 9, 51. I'm telling you, when I was on thinking about this and all the delays and all the airplanes and thinking about Sunday and trying to think, this thing would not leave me alone. Okay, so I know we were on the right track. It says, Luke 9, 51 says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should receive up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, if, you know, you could passively read that, but this is part of, this scripture is fulfilling a prophecy. You know, if, you don't, if you're not careful, this, is, this was mentioned in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesies, and Isaiah uses the word flint, that he set his face as flint. And he prophesies of what Jesus is going to go through. You know, if you go to the book of Isaiah and, and, you know, find the prophecy, it goes through all the things. It talks about his beard being ripped off. I mean, it's very specific. If you don't think this book is amazing, think about how long ago that was written. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the actual event of the cross. So... This principle says that he set his face as flint is found in Isaiah, I believe, 51. 50, I might, and I, I don't want to use it because I don't want to take too much time. But the idea, the idea was that, um, I think just the, the, the game's probably hot on it. When I took that speaker, it pops up. I just won't look at that speaker. All right. So the idea, you know, of this is as it came to pass that he made a decision, and I like to call it this way, a decision of quality. A decision that there is no turning around in your life. I mean, you burn every bridge, you know, you make sure you don't have a connected to that lifestyle. And I really think, you know, as we navigate through life and we make decisions to clear up our life or to clean up our life, the, be- the best place to start is not like, well, I want to get off of drugs or I want to, you know, be a more moral person or I, I want to stop lying and cheating and all these things. 
Before you make that decision, before you go into that place, you have to make a decision of quality. Are you with me? Before you ever go, oh, you know, I want to change my life. Okay, that's wonderful. Make the decision first. Make the decision that you're not going to go back on anything. And yes, you might fall and you might slip and you might do this, and that's where grace comes in and that's where forgiveness comes in. But the decision is something that nobody will move you from. And I'm telling you, anything in your life that you're, that you're struggling with, you have to start with this. And Jesus, this is right before, you know, this is probably a week or two before, you know, Palm Sunday, which will be next Sunday. So Jesus is already headed. And when he makes this decision, the first thing he encounters, I'm not, I'm not going to read everything, I'm just kind of, so you, you find, the first thing he finds out when he makes this decision, he finds the people that didn't want him. He didn't find Palm Sunday, all right? The first decision was like, get out of here. We don't want anything to you. I mean, you, you read into all this stuff, you know. So it's very important because that decision in Jesus' life was, was not the decision to go to Jerusalem. That was the decision to go to the cross. You have to understand this about our Lord and Savior. If you believe that, God, that Jesus was half God and half man, you are in a little bit of a gray area because he wasn't half anything. He was all God, all man. He wasn't half and half. Why is that important? Because anything that Jesus faces as far as human nature is concerned, and there's enough references in the Bible to support what I'm going to tell you, he did not face it as God. Something that he's, he has the ability of, that we don't because of his godly nature, is that he could, when it was time to be a man, he had to be a man. In other words, he had to be a human. That's why the book of Hebrews, it gives us a little insight, says he was tempted in everything. You say, well, Pastor, how could Jesus' temptations be even related to modern temptations? Well, I'm not sure how they're related to modern temptations, but I'll tell you one thing. Whatever you're dealing with, Jesus dealt with it in some form without sin. That's the why it helps us. So that becomes his godly nature. I don't want to confuse you guys, but when Jesus faces the cross, when Jesus, and you can see some of these things, again, I'm still kind of on the introduction, you really see this exchange, and we'll see that probably two weeks from now or maybe next week as we move into that, you see the exchange in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's faced. I mean, he's got a way out of this. God's still, you know, him and his dad are having this conversation. And he says, Father, if there's any way that I don't have to partake of this cup. And he's not talking about drinking wine. He's talking about the covenant that he made with his father, the cup of covenant, to fulfill his destiny. Because since he was a little boy, here's the human side of Jesus. He's seen people crucified. They made a deal out of this. You know, Jesus was actually an exception. And, I, and again, historically, I don't want to even dig into this one. But he was the exception of the location of where he was crucified. That wasn't a common thing. But because he was, maybe it was because they celebrated him as the king of the Jews and they really want to make a spectacle of him. But for the most part, the Romans crucified people on the roads. That's where they did. You know, like, you know, like 359 would be full of dead bodies, basically. Because they wanted to make sure... Nobody missed it. And they would put, usually know, well, that guy lied, that guy cheated, that guy stole, that guy whatever. You know, and everybody that walked down those roads would see dead bo- bodies rotting and being picked by the birds. You know, I mean, that's, I know that this is graphic. That's first century life. You know, they didn't have internet. They didn't have a lot of stuff to do, so they just made up mean stuff like that, right? So the fact that even Jesus was crucified on, in, in, in Calvary in the Golgotha was also p- part of fulfillment of prophecy, but it wasn't the norm. That was usually reserved for like big shots. You know, we're going to make a really big deal. We're going to put him up here. So his whole life, he's been watching this. He knows what that cross means. And when, you know, at what point of his childhood, at what point of his early life and ministry, I don't, we don't really know at what point does he really finally realize as a human that that's his destiny. But at some point, he realizes this. 
And, you know, it's, it's like everything. It's like when you have to go to the doctor and they say, you know, you don't really, or let's say that, that's one, one that you guys don't really like unless you're really strange. Um, the dentist. How many, you know, don't raise your, if you like to go to dentist, you need prayer. All right. So, you know, you got a dental appointment three months and they're going to do like triple root, plow, you know, I said root plow, maybe like a root plow, root canal, and just dig everything out. And, and, you, and you're just dreading it and dreading it. And you're like three months, you're like, yeah, it's going to be painful. But when it comes down to like tomorrow, you're trying to figure everything out, right? You're like, maybe I have COVID or something, you know, test me, please, you know, anything to wiggle out of it. But three months ago, you're like, yeah, it's going to be painful. Well, you can imagine the life of Jesus. He knows the cross is in his future. And as he navigates in his life and ministry, you don't really hear him talk about it a lot. He, he does make a few mentions. You know, he talks, the son of man will die. The son of man will be lifted up. He makes mentions. But when it gets down, you know, to these three weeks that we're talking about, it gets pretty serious now because he's not three years away from it. So his human nature, you can read into it. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting something so I can move on to the next slide, is he has this conversation with God. He says, Lord, if there's any way, any way at all, that I don't have to do that? And you know, we don't really hear the answer because this is between him and his father. We're only hearing the Jesus side, which the apostles are aware of because they're the ones that are, you know, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whichever one you want to pick, they're the ones that are dictating this for us. So they're only hearing the Jesus side of the conversation, right? You know, it's like when you're on the phone, you only hear one side. That's what they're hearing. And they hear this. If there's any way that this cup passes over and then there's a pause, and then Jesus says, so that's the pause that God talks to him about this. And then he says, okay, Lord, I get it. It's not my will, but let your will be done. And he makes that decision. He's already decided, but at that point, there's no turning back. He's, you know, and he's still all God. And you can see the, the God part surfacing up even towards the end, you know, even towards his arrest. Now, we're way up, you know, up to the week of, of crucifixion, but it's all relevant to this point. And you see that the power of God does manifest because when they say, who, where's this Jesus that we're looking for? He says, he says the great same thing. And I'm not sure, you know, but he says, he, he says that the idea of I am. Being, present, God. And you can read it. What happened to all the Roman soldiers? Whoosh, they were slain all down. That's just right the Bible. This, I mean, you got, it's like, and I think God did that to show them that he wasn't being taken. That he wasn't being kidnapped. He wasn't even being arrested. He was giving up his life. Because if he didn't want to, he would fry every one of them. And, he's, and just by saying, I am, read into the New Testament, they all, the power came out of Jesus. The God side came, and all these soldiers were flat on their face in a second. Well, of course, they recovered and they arrested him. So we have to understand, you know, when you look at the passion of Christ, when you study the passion of Christ, you really have to dig and dig and dig to really find out what is the, the human side of Jesus through this whole process. Why? Because that's the part that's going to help you. We've all, you know, I've been doing this for many years. Every resurrection service, the expectations to have a good resurrection, you know, series or service. Well, how many, Al, how many sermons can we preach in 30 years about resurrection, right? You know, and not be repetitive. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think we have to learn and keep digging and digging because at the end of the day, you guys know what, what this is about. You know what Faithway is about. Faithway is not about getting a bunch of sermons. Faithway is about taking something out of here and hopefully it can apply into your daily life. And your week just became better because you took a truth. It's not about theologies. You know, yeah, we're, we try to be solid. Trust me, I work very hard to be diligent in that area. But at the end of the day, even in Cuba, we, we're careful. I, you know, I, can go and go so, I can go so deep that they, you know, we, don't, we don't connect. You know, the, the idea is that people leave with something. Amen? All right, let's get into it. So 
Jesus said, now here's the, here's the reference. Go back to Isaiah just so they, this is the, the reference. I forgot how to actually put it. Because the sovereign Lord helps me. Now, this is the prophecy about Jesus. He says, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will. So when you talk about set your face, set your face as flint, set your eyes on Jesus, that is what we're talking about. We are determined. Say this with me. I am determined to do his will. Very simple comment. We're not here. We're not determined to become part of faith. We're not determined to see how holy we are. We're not determined to see how popular we are. We are determined to do his will. And in his will is everything you need. Because let me help you. What you think you need and what you need can sometimes be two different things. Thank you. Amen. You know, we're so obsessed on stuff. And you talk about, you look at life in Jesus' ministry. And they're not obsessed with stuff like we are. Amen. So you really start digging into stuff and say, what is really God's will? You know, when you pray a prayer that says God will give you the desires of your heart, that's a wonderful sum, and we love it. The problem is we think that means a new Corvette. Nothing wrong. I like Corvettes. had a few. That could be a desire of your heart, but you know what I really believe that scripture means? It says God will give you the desires of his heart so they will become the desires of your heart. That's how I read it. Nothing wrong with the cars. No, don't get hung up on that. But you've got to be careful at what level you pursue direction. Because if, if all we are looking for God is for pay my light bill and help me and heal my body, nothing wrong with that. We all need it. Amen? You know, we all need to walk in divine hell. We all need these things. But when you get to a point where you say, Lord, what is it really your will for me? You might be surprised. That what his will for you is, is not necessarily what you thought your will for you was, and you were trying to bring God to it. Because we have that human tendency, right? Like, Lord, this is the plan. Please bless it. Se acabaron las aleluyas, amenes. I'll preach in Cuban if you want. I can do that, too. You know, because now, now it's coming into somewhere, you know, where there's a clash. And the only reason there is a clash here is because we have to go back to the decision of quality. The decision of quality starts with, Lord, not my will. You know, what does that even mean? So hopefully in the next three weeks, in the, you know, in a, looking at the life of Jesus, we will learn something. So he goes on just to finish this. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know I will not be put to shame. To set like flint is the highest level of decision that one can make. And what, what Jesus, you know, this is prophesying about Jesus, he says, I like the last line of, of Isaiah says, I will not be put to shame, because that is really the conflict that we all have. If I believe God, and I don't raise your hand, and don't, but this could come up, you know, what if it doesn't work? Or maybe I tried to believe God, and, well, you know, your information, or let me put it, help me, let me slow down. Wrong information in your life doesn't make, make it right information towards God. Does that make sense? You know, somebody could have given you some information about what God does and God doesn't do, and you called that your religion, and you took it, you know, hook, line, and sinker, and then you come to somebody and says, well, God didn't say that. You, you know, you, well, I believed it all my life. Well, you believed your whole life wrong. Well, it's not about what you said, Pastor Box. No, it's not about what I said. It's about what God said. You know, there's a lot of things that people say that aren't in the Bible. And, they, you know, they hear it enough. The Bible says. I, I got, a, you know, a couple. When I can think of the, the most common one, so it's like, you know, God helps those that helps themselves. The Bible says that. 
And, and you know, if you're not careful, all the little robots in church go, hey, man, the Bible says it. No, no interest in find out if the Bible says that. Well, let me help you. The Bible doesn't say that. It just sounds cute. You know, even the beautiful poem of footsteps, that's not in the Bible. Some people believe that's, you know, that's, that's you know, there's nothing wrong with a beautiful poem. But if you're not careful, it could put you in a place where you're like, you just accept your whole mess. And, you know, well, he's carrying me, so I just, you know, I just got to accept what I can change. I can what I can't. That's not in the Bible. That's not in there. Nowhere in the Bible have says, well, you just got to accept loud what you know, whatever got dished out of you, you know, you got to accept it, you know, whatever. Two footprints, and there's only one now, you know, the whole thing. So stop complaining. It's in the Bible. And like that, we will navigate one after the other after the, again, there are good truths. But all it takes is a little bit of twist in the truth to take it off of context. Do you realize that, G- that Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, and all that Satan used was Scripture? Hello? He tempted him with scripture, except every scripture was a little bit twisted. Slightly. Not big. But if you read what the Bible says, and you read what Satan threw at him, it's not the same thing. It's, it's, it's real close. And there might be one little difference. But the temptations that Satan threw at Jesus were scripture. Because it doesn't the word say? Because he knew if he said, I say, you're not going to listen to me. Well, guess what? We as believers, if we're not careful, we, we keep falling into these things. Why is this such a big deal, Pastor? Because what happens is we take away from the power of the cross. Because one of those things that all these little ideas carry, maybe not all of them, I hate to say all because they know 100%, but most of them carry is that the cross wasn't enough. There's a little more you got to do. You got to come to church more. You got to pray more. You got to give more. And that, you know, we don't really say that, but human nature has that tendency. Self-sacrifice. I've got to beat up myself a little more. So what are we doing now? Now we're, we're you see, because the cross, if one of the biggest things the cross did is it delivers you from the law. And the law was based on works. The law says, if you do, God will. Well, the cross stopped that. Because Jesus paid the whole price. Of God. You know, Jesus did all the doing that was needed to be done in the law. And now it was all, I, t- I took it all. Do you want it? It's called grace now. But human nature is, I haven't done enough. And, and you know, because why? Because we are programmed since childhood. Go to school, get good grades, you get an A. Go to work, do your best, work all really hard, you get a paycheck. Behave, your mom buys you something. Misbehave, you get a spanking. Well, back before politically correct stuff. So our whole life is molded into this idea, I have to do to get. And in the net, normal world, that's the way it is. And I believe in work. You know, I work as hard as anybody else does. But at the end, of, when you come to Jesus, it doesn't work that way. You have to accept sacrifice. If you can't accept what happened at the cross, you will always have the tendency when you're facing a challenge or facing a situation, it's like, oh, God, I haven't done enough. And you go back, you know, and here we go back to the, that whole series I did at the beginning of the year. You're going to go back into your past, find out what you messed up and why God is not helping you. And you're going to stay in your present, and you're going to look at your future and give all the reasons why God hasn't, this is going to be really hard. And the whole time, God is sitting here, look at the cross. What happened at the cross? Amen? All right, let's go. Give me, we're just going to go through some of these things. So decisions of quality simply means no option to go back. What is a good decision? Good decision comes from good information. Amen? So we should understand that we don't want to try to make a decision. Well, Pastor, that was a great, you know, inspired me with that sermon. 
what a good sermon. I make a decision to change. Sorry, that's not going to help you one bit. Because just me telling you, or a good sermon, no, the decision of quality has to come from a good foundation. So whatever you decide to change in your life, don't even dare make a decision until you find what, what, what God said about it. And not only what God said about it, how did that resolve at the cross? Because the cross changes your perspective on a lot of things. Amen? Hello? Now, you'll hear some of this next week, but I know I was talking a little bit with Saida before church, you know, and she was saying, you know, it changed the way I see things. If I, if I would talk to even Yanis, which she gets, you know, she's kind of from there, from that area, not from Cuba, but similar. I'm sure it changed a little things once she, I mean, even from here, that she would be very familiar with the culture because, you know, but when you go there, what is that? It changed your perspective. Things that you said, I'll never change. No, you, you have one experience, and it's amazing how your whole optics change. Right? Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. But the, but the good decisions have to come from good information. So I don't go and say, well, Pastor, you know, okay, I got it. I'm going you know, to make a decision. I'm going to get off of drugs. Or I'm going to get off some vice. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Don't make the decision. What did God say about it? And not only what did God say about it, what did the cross say about it? Because if you realize what happened to the cross, you know, it is not hard to get people off of any addiction if the person understands what happened at the cross. Now, trust me, I've been doing this a long time. So that good decision comes from good information, all right? So that's really where we're at. We have to understand, really, this point of setting our mind, setting our hearts as flint. Meaning, that thing is so solid that you can get thrown things, 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 you know? And, and again, I, I hate to say this because... I've been on this loop so long that if I, miss on, if I miss up on this one, you guys just give me some grace, all right? But, you know, I've gone through this loop of trying to get my health in a better place for years. I have a joke. I said, I've probably lost like 900 pounds in the last 20 years. Because I lose them, I find them, I lose them, and I just keep re-losing all the same pounds, right? Come on, y'all don't look at me weird. Y'all take a laugh on me, that's fine. But also, some people say, well, how do you do it, Pastor? What diet are you doing? What are you doing? No, it's a decision. That's the only thing I did was I was done hurting. And guess what? That decision is tested every time I turn around because, you know, sometimes I got off, off, nothing like the Cuban diet to get you back on track, trust me. But, you know, I got off track and and it was starting to come back up, come back up. and, And I had to go back not to a diet plan, not to a workout plan. That didn't matter. What I had to get back to was was my decision that I made last year in probably what was it, June, when I thought I was going to die in the month somewhere, was that decision solid enough? Because once I felt better, once the pain left, what happens? Y'all don't look at me. Put it in whatever context you want. Your family was a mess. God's working on your family. But the same thing that makes your family better and that you're doing, you're going to have to maintain it. Because as soon as you pulled, you're like, oh, no, my family's good now, and you start drawing back, guess what? The same things that cause the family to be in pain are going to kind of sneak back in. It's the same thing in this area. Whatever. I'm just using my example. You, so the decision was, was my decision solid enough? Because those decisions will keep you on track of whatever. You know, you, you, get, you, you set yourself on a decision to get out of debt even though you're, you're drowning in debt this morning. If you make a decision to get out of debt, the very first thing that's going to slap you in the face is you can't get any more of it. See, I'm messing with y'all now. Y'all don't want to go there because oh, don't touch my stuff. Yeah, but you're drowning in debt. I'm trying to help you. But you make a decision. Guess what you do? You stop getting debt. I mean, it's, it's not enough just to pay the debts off. You've got to stop getting new ones. What a deep revelation you're getting in church this morning. But, you know, that decision 
how much, how valuable was it? Because when you were drowning financially, it was like the best decision. We have to decide this. But as soon as you got a little wiggle worm, well, let's go to the mall. No, honey, you were supposed to get that money and put it on top of the other debt. Yeah, y'all don't want to hear that. Okay. So decisions, 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 right? But here's where we're going. The decisions of realizing what Jesus did will change everything from debt to drugs to losing weight, anything to treating your wife better to helping your marriage out. You make a decision of quality that is completely based on what happened on that cross. And, and I'll tell you, your commitment will go to a whole different level. Because now you're not just, you know, well, I'm on, I'm on this track, you know, I want to get healthier. And you're faced with, a, with to eat, you know, pie or whatever. And you know you're not supposed to. You don't, you're not making the decision not to eat it because you don't want it because you want it. And I want it. And everybody wants it. But then you look at the cross. The cross is bigger than now because now the cross is influencing your decision of whatever. Because well, that's not spiritual. It is spiritual because you're not you're not going to be real spiritual if, if you're all the time sick and all you know your whole life you're just fighting against sickness and disease. It can, you know, being healthy keeps you spiritual. Hello, and being sick can make you very spiritual. But at some point, you make that decision. What did I resolve at the cross? What decision? Because the decision is made there. It's not, you know, once you, once you look at the cross as the thing that holds it together, now you're going to be a lot more careful to violate your choice. Amen? All right, let's keep moving. I know that. that. Matthew 16, 26. Let's talk about what Jesus said. Jesus said to his disciples, how many of you think you're disciples of Jesus? None of you? Is that like too deep for you? Disciple just simply means follower. An imitator. Let's try again. How many of you are disciples of Jesus? All right, three, Lord. We'll, we'll have a big altar call this morning, I'm sure. If any of you wants to be my follower, stop. You guys read things too fast. So now he said, he speaks to a certain group, and then he adds something else. Because these are the things. You know how many so-called disciples of Christ are all over the world? Billions. That means people that say, I believe in Christianity. I believe that's my, the way I'm, that's, that's my spiritual road, what have you. You know, there's millions. And, you know, and what keeps you out of hell, heaven is simply rejecting Christ. It doesn't, and nothing else keeps you out of heaven and accepting the sacrifice. What church you go to, if you go to church, that doesn't keep you out of heaven. All, everything after that point is about how you live down here. Well, you guys are asleep. I'm the one that's sleepy. Come on. Think about it. After you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, pretty much your eternal life is resolved. So why are we doing here 30 years later? Because everything becomes about bringing heaven on earth. Everything now becomes about seek ye first the kingdom. And that was an earth event. That's not a heaven event. Y'all good with that? Seek ye first the kingdom. Everything becomes about extending God's kingdom. That's the only thing that matters now. Because as far, as far as what we believe, you're born again. You, 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 will, you will be in heaven at the time, of, you know, the time you need to go. But so what happens in the here now? Do we just lock ourselves in a room or do we become absolute, complete cultural Christians say, well, I got my ticket to heaven, you know, and that's it. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have any other influence. I'm not supposed to help anybody. I'm not supposed to be running around and seeing how I can help my Cuban brothers. No, that's all done. I'm going to heaven. I'm done. Is that it? Is that your whole fulfillment? How sad, right? No, it's not. That is the, that's why I'm saying the cross to many is the end of something. But to us, it should be the beginning of something. 
The cross to many is the end of a broken life. That's wonderful. You know, keep looking at my pulpit like if it was a cross. And they come to it, but they say, okay, I'm done. I'm saved. I will buy me a little Bible, get my name stamped on it. I'll buy me a highlighter and a notebook. And I'll find me a church, and I'll drag my family in there, and we'll just sit there and listen to the gospel. And I learned this from my granddaughter, like a bump on a pickle. I always said bump on a log. And she said, no, daddy, bump on a pickle. I said, so it's like a bump on a pickle. No influence, no lives changed, house still broken, kids doing their own thing, finances a disaster, but you got your ticket to heaven. Reminds me of a rock song. I got to keep stop connecting stuff to rock songs. One ticket to paradise. That's what you guys are hearing in your head, right? I got my ticket to paradise. I'm done. That is a sad way to live. Guess what? You can live that way. You're still going to heaven. But your life here is completely without purpose. That's it. I mean, and I don't know about you, but the biggest, my excitement of my reconnection with Christ, I say reconnections, I knew him when I was a kid. I knew when I was 8, 9, 10 years old that I was going to be a preacher. That's called purpose. I knew it when I was 8 years old. I, thought it was, well, I, was really, I knew I was going to be a missionary. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like pastors, and I still don't. You can figure that one out. But um, I knew I was going to be a missionary, and, I, and we were so into like the missionary stories that I figured I would get eaten up by cannibals, and that would be glorious. Because all the stories we heard about, you know, missionaries going to Central America and getting eaten by cannibals, you know, whatever. So, but I, at that age, I, I knew that this is what I was going to do the rest of my life. And then I took 14, however you want to do the math, maybe 14, 16 years, wherever it started, that the, that the devil took me on a path. But when I come back to God, guess what? I immediately reconnected back to that. In other words, the 14 years of my miserable existence didn't define me for the rest of my life. They only defined me for those 14 years. Y'all still with me? So in other words, God just, you know, basically took that messed up, you know, season of my life and said, okay, we're back on track. Nothing really changed. You know, I, I, I lost 14 years, but as far as God is, okay, you're finally on track, dude. This is where you were supposed to be. Okay, you lost 14 years, but we're back. That's how God looks at things. You see, and, and that is where we are today. And so when I get born again, you know, I was so excited of being delivered and being free and, and everything was awesome. But immediately, immediately, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't days after that experience that I knew that in some form or fashion, I was going to be way more than just picking a guitar for a praise and worship team. Because that's all I was doing. And I was fine with that. I loved it. There was something way more. Did I know this? Did I know Cuba? You? Uh, none of this. You know, if he would have told me this, I would have probably ruined it with unbelief, right? But I, something shifted in me. That there was, like Jeremiah said, there was a fire that was quenched up in my bones. And the only place that would take me, I attached myself to a prison ministry team. Not the only place. I was so little, young, baby in the Lord. But I knew I had to do something. Now, that's what we're talking about this morning. You know, what, what is that cross doing to you? So let's, let's finish this. Jesus said to disciples, if any of you wants to be a follower, so he's going to put good news. If any of you wants to be a disciple, then he says this, you have to take up what? Read it, guys. Don't, don't just look at me. What cross? Which cross? His cross? I, I, I leave one week and they forget how to read. They forget how to talk. I don't know what's going on. It says, take up your and that really hits home because we're, oh, the cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. Yeah, we already got that one. That's the one that brought us into kingdom. 
that there's another cross in the kingdom that nobody wants to talk about, that Paul talked about it, Jesus talked about it. Because we only see one cross, right, most of the time, the cross of Jesus. But Jesus said, no, that's my cross. <laughs> it's going to get really good now. Where's your cross? Well, what am I supposed to just die? No, because dead, you don't help the kingdom. I learned this from you know, a great friend of ours, Terry, and he said a good thing. You know, when he was in, and he was in the jungles that I thought I would end up in, you know, in Panama, and he got sick, and he was dying when he was 18 years old. You guys know Terry, good friend of mine, missionary all over the world. And he said, and he realized something that when he came, because he, he came from kind of that old school, if I die for Jesus, I've done something. But then one day when he came back to America, he was sick, full of sickness, full of dysentery and all kinds of nasty diseases you get in the jungle. It's not my story, it's his story. He realized something. He thought he was doing really good. He thought he was doing everything he was supposed to do God. And then he had this aha moment where he says, there's only one problem. Because if I die, I'm done helping the kingdom. In other words, you're not efficient if you're dead. So the goal is not to die. The goal is to do whatever God calls you to do to the best of your ability. But there's something in this process that every believer in this room and every believer, including myself, has to realize there's a cross that's got your name on it. You didn't, you didn't come to church to hear that message, right? And that cross, and actually that's really another series I'm taking my time to work on. That's probably going to be in a few, couple months from now. It's really going to be good. But it talks about how to process your ego. That's another another. But I'll plug this one right in. That cross represents one thing and one thing only in your life. It's not about driving nails in your hand. It's not about whipping. You know, I grew up in central Mexico. I saw people carrying real crosses. I saw los encapuchados que les dicen, and they would beat themselves with a whip like this, and they would go right in front of my house, because I had a window to this big, massive street, main street in Cholula, and they would whip themselves for their whole back. You know, that kind of, that would leave an impression in an eight-year-old's life, right? But that to us was normal. And, and then, you know, we weren't Catholic, but that was the Catholic scene, and I would ask my mom about that, and then she'd give me a big theological explanation that I didn't know what it was. I just knew that that was kind of weird. And it always bugged me that the God of love that, we, that my mom would tell me about was the same God that would make these people bleed. You know, it's just weird. You see, that is not the sacrifice. That you, you see, Jesus already died and bled once. He's not looking for you to experience pain. The most pain you're going to experience on your cross is you. Huh? Because that cross will put some demands on you that you don't want to, that you're like, there's no way, this is beyond me. You know, one of the things I've accepted in my life is accept the challenges that God puts me, you know, puts me, faith challenges, because they're not easy. You know, one year I go to Cuba, I come back, I got to buy an electrocoagulizing machine. I don't know how much it costs, I don't know where you buy them, I don't know where the money is. Next time I go, I got to buy a farm. Next time I go, I got to put an air conditioning system. Why is God putting those demands on me? Because number one, he knows I don't have the capacity to do any of it, which is a good place to be. But he understands that if I'm willing to put even my fear on that cross regarding what he tells me, it's going to work out. That cross represents your ego. That cross represents your flesh. That's why Paul says, you have to take it up daily. You have to crucify daily. Well, you're not killing yourself daily. Again, dead people aren't efficient for the kingdom. He's talking about that heart of God. Because here's where we miss it. We think, Lord, Pastor, but if I just, you know, if I just, you know, really go that way. No, he said more than once. He said it in Isaiah. When you accept this, he will take care of you like you have no idea. He will make you right on high places. He will put you in places of influence. He'll give you an education that you didn't even go to school. 
Amen? Well, how do you know? Because I didn't have a college degree. In my last secular job, I had one doctor, two engineers, and 30 people under me. And the guy that could, couldn't stand it the most was the medical doctor, because I would tell him, hey, vete por las cocas. We would make him so mad. I'm a doctor. I said, like, I don't care. I'm your boss. Go give me some coke. I know. I was, I was horrible. I was horrible. But my point is, God will give you and do things in you that you've never dreamed of. That every one of you has a, a capacity in you that's beyond anything. Even, even at your best down here, you, you, there, there's greater capacity in you. But it has to be found at the cross. Because God cannot work through ego. Hello? God cannot work because this is what we do. We want the cross of Christ. By his stripes I am healed. That's his cross. You got that? I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. That's his cross. That's what he gave me. But when it comes to this scripture, he says, where's your cross? What is the one thing that God already told you that is, that it, that, that is, that is holding you from a next level of insight and revelation? What is the one thing that, that God already dealt with you that as far as Paul's concerned in Corinthians, the Lord still looks at it like milk? What are the things that God has told you you need to process this? You know, one of the biggest things that we, you know, and we were doing really good with our church, the church in Cuba was to really bring in these ideas, bring these ideas of unity and rhythm. And, you know, I thank God for this church because it really, this church, for the most part, we've never had a church split. We've had people get mad and leave. That's human nature. But here's the thing. You know, a lot of churches aren't like that. A lot of churches are tearing themselves up, and their vision is blurred, and they don't do anything for the kingdom. They don't do anything for their community. They don't do anything for it because they're all messed up in strife and anger and you know what, that is a, what I tell a lot of people, I said, if you really want to move where God moves, you have to believe for a higher way of thinking. Because it says in Isaiah, his ways are higher than your ways. Huh? That is really what, that cross that God puts before you is not to cause you pain, it's to take to a higher place. But the higher place, again, I'm already preaching the sermon that I don't want to preach, but I'm poking at it. The higher place can only, can only be reached when there's a real heart sincerity, and I'm telling you, I'm not all the way there, but if we want to try to do this together, where real heart sincerity, you can put your face to God and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Regarding somebody offended you, put yourself on the cross. Well, I'm not going to forgive them. Oh, well, then you're still lower level thinker. That is, you're, not, you're not less of a person. In other words, you're a milk person. You remember what Paul said? I can't give you meat. Because you guys are still in strife and anger and division. And unless you resolve anger, strife, and division, you will never have the nutrition that meat gives you. I mean, Paul said it. I didn't come up with that. So that demand on my life says, it's up to me to put my little attitudes and everything I need to, not on his cross. He already took care of this. So I got the power, but the power is going to reside on my decision to crucify that. Y'all still with me? I challenge you, this, this service, these next three weeks, why don't you let the Lord talk to you about crucifying some things in your, what is that one thing you can't stand about your character? What's that one thing you can't say? Or let me help you. If you oh, ask your wife. Ask your husband. You guys thought you were off the hook, ladies. You weren't off the hook. Because we're, you know, we're very naive. We think we got it all together. And we're just super nice. And we're like the, you know, the Pillsbury Doughboy. Somebody pokes us and we just giggle at everything. But the fact is, why don't you ask your family about how you're treating them? I have, guys, I'm preaching from a place that I had self-realization about eight years ago on a lot of levels of what I'm telling you about. 
And God kept slapping me. He says, you can't go till you fix this. You can't go till you fix how you treat your wife in this area. You can't go till you change your attitude with your kids. You can't go till you. And, he, and he's just bombarding me with all this stuff. I said, Lord, really? He said, well, how far do you want to go? And all this stuff happened, I can tell you, happened pre-Cuba. I was already all over the map, but we weren't in Cuba. Cuba's a whole different animal, spiritually speaking. Trust me, it's a whole different beast. And God was showing me, you're not ready for that. Oh, but I've been on the mission field for, back then, you know, whatever, 18 years, Lord. No, you're not ready for that. Now, he didn't tell me this. I realized that after I went to Cuba. I pro- all, this, all this conversation came afterwards. God didn't talk to me. I just says, it was just, he's dealing with me. How do you respond to your wife when she asks you something? Something as simple as that. How do you treat your husband respectfully or disrespectfully, ladies? Do you call him out, or does she call you out? Or does he, I mean, just disrespectful stuff you say. But you'd be surprised how little tiny things matter so much to God. And it's not the thing. It's the fact that God is trying to get us to understand that the only power you have, the only power that he has, is love. And anything that causes turbulence in love is causing turbulence in your spirit. And if there's turbulence in your spirit, you're not getting the straight downloads. You're You're getting it with static. And sometimes it's harder to hear God when there's a lot of noise in your spirit. Are you tracking No? You want me to repeat all that? Nobody said amen. If you have noise in your spirit, if you have a turbulence because you're walking out of love, you're not going to be able to hear the spirit of love because God doesn't love. God is love. And his language is the language of love. And his information comes through the language of love. So any decision you make to walk out any attitude, any little thing, that doesn't mean you're going to hell and you're losing communication, but it will cause a little bit of static. And now it's not, exa- it's not completely clear what you were supposed to do. So the, the greatest price, because love demands that cross. Because it's easy to love the lovely. It's easy to love people like me because I'm so adorable, right? You're like, yeah, shut up, Pastor. Okay. I'm trying to get you guys to react. I don't know, you know, was Kathy like really hard on you all last Sunday? Or what? You guys like, like shell shot, my God. Maybe you guys were really hard on her. I don't know. She didn't even come to church this morning. No, she, no we're praying for you, Kathy. We love you. I know she's watching. But you know what I'm saying? And it is so hard because you, you, you think you are got it down. You think you got it. Oh, I got the love walk. And all it, all it takes is for you to go to Laredo and you're going to find out how you really are not there yet. Those people don't know how to drive up there, you know. And I find myself getting mad and irritated. You know why God doesn't just release all the power of God? Because if you would just walk, oh, I just want more power. Yeah, next time you blow your horn, you can blow somebody completely off the highway because you had all the power of God, but you can handle it. You know, you, so he goes, oh, I can't give him power of God because when he gets road rage, he's just going to clear the whole highway out, right? No, they're little things, and everyone is a demand, a demand on the demand. You know what? It's not a bad thing, guys. Don't take a, you know what it is? You're becoming like him. That's what he's trying to do, the nature, the cross that God puts in your life more than anything is for your human nature and your ego nature and your flesh nature to die little by little but not disappear, die, die and be replaced. Die and be replaced. Where I was angry to everybody, that dies and now it's being replaced with the spirit of love. I don't have the ability, you know, or where this, it, it dies and it's replaced by the spirit of love. It's, it's continually, you don't just get rid of stuff and not fill the void with something. Amen? 
So he goes on and says, if you try, look, there's so much in here, watch, let's unpack it, and follow me, but, says, but if you try to hang on to your life, okay, that one idea, what is that about? Ego. It's you hanging on to whose life? Your life. And that's how the world works. The world thinks, if I don't have the good job, if I don't have the career, if I don't provide for my family, if I, 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 the whole I, 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 and then we have a whole culture that is me, 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 me. And pretty soon, you know, we build this thing like, you are God of your life. You're not going to say that. But really, a lot of times in cultural Christianity, that's how we work. We go to church on Sunday to meet the requirement. Click. But once we walk out of church, God's not the God of your life. You're the God of your life. And you're making a lot of decisions. Not, you know, not even, you're not even praying about it anymore. You're just like, something blows up, that's what we got to do. And then that blows up again on top of what just blowed up, because guess what? Your little fingers got in there. And now you're wondering, you got two explosions now, and so you make another decision, now you got a third explosion. Anybody relate to that? Or I'm just talking about my life. I'm preaching to the wrong crowd. I think you guys got all this. You guys are hyper holy. Maybe I should sit down and some of y'all preach to me this message. Because there's no reactions, and I'm just messing with it. If you try to hang on to your life, that doesn't mean death, you're done. That means hanging on to the controls. That have, at least in my case, I proved to myself and to my family and to my wife and to my kids and to everybody and to my bosses and to everybody who had any relationship with me before Jesus that I can't do my life. I proved that beyond the shadow. All right? But you know what's happened? The same people that are still around 30 years later have seen glimpse. And I'm not going to say of all of it, because trust me, I haven't given it all. I'm working on it. But every area of my life that I've decided to give it to him, like truly give it to him, he fixes it. And he gets to use me. You know, I, I, I'm just, you know, I, I look back and the work in Cuba, the work here, and I'm like, really, Lord? <laughs> what? How could you even figure I had the capacity? Because there's a, there's a lot, you know. You know I said, I'm glad the team, when H had to come earlier, but, but Saida and Damian got to sit, sit in on a classic Cuban meeting. And there's a, right? I'm saying it's, it's a lot going. I mean, it's not just go, go there and preach. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. And you have to know how the machine works. Well, I have a little bit of knowledge. But I'll tell you where, I, where the rest of how do I, some says, well, how can you do this stuff? I said, I don't know. I just, I really just kind of rely on God. I've learned to lean into his own understanding and not my own ways. And information comes and plans comes and visions and structures and conversations. And before you know it, this beautiful thing has... We, in, we went into this meeting believing God for basically $13,000. We came out of this meeting with we have $13,000. You know? I mean, verbally speaking, but it's good. It's, it's good words. Don't trust me. It's good words. And I'm sitting there just reeling back. But you see, but if you hadn't brought that, maybe the other one wouldn't have happened. And that's what I'm trying to get people to understand. You know, one action in this, while you're trying to resolve this problem or this crisis in your life or dreams, it doesn't have to be a problem, visions, but you're still trying to do your your thing. Maybe one decision here, you have no idea how that one submittal decision to say, okay, God, not my will, but your will, will just go right through and and influence that thing you were dealing with. I don't know how to explain it other than that. I'm trying to fix it. 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 But then I realized I've been walking out of love. I said, Lord, I repent. I need to fix my attitude with my wife. And this action of me putting myself on my cross regarding love somehow, not somehow, caused the love and the power of God to go right through me and now begins to influence a completely different thing. What I'm trying to say, this is just personal experience. 
But that's how God sees it. God doesn't say, well, I want to fix A, B, C, and D. God only wants to fix one thing to this morning in all your lives. He wants to fix your love walk. That's what it's all about. <laughs> that's it. Can you walk right now, and if somebody's parked behind you, can you just... <laughs> <laughs> and right there, this message will be reminded to you. Right? Oh, that was... But that one action where you said, oh, I really want to leave, but you know what, Lord? I call them blessed. And if I have to wait here for 20 minutes, I'll just worship you till they move the car. <laughs> Might have caused for that child to get off of drugs. You see, that's the, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going a little extreme, but that connect, you don't, we don't see those connections. But you're not responsible to get the kid off of drugs. You're responsible to walk in love. You see that? And, but these little actions, because every one of those, because your cross is really simple, guys. Your cross is your flesh. That's all it is. It's not a wooden cross. Your cross, your cross sits within your soul. Your cross is your attitudes, your opinions, your perspective, your judgments. Amen? You know, judgment is one of the most horrible things Christians carry all the time, you know. Judging everything around them, not understanding anything. Even if you understand it, it's not your point to judge. Judge not so you will not be. Right? I mean, little things that are like, no, focus. Putting your eyes as flint means you've zeroed in on one thing, and one thing only. You're not scattershot looking at everything everybody else is doing. You really got your eyes on Jesus, and what you're seeing is a mirror, and that mirror is slapping you right back into your face, and everything you see is about what you need to change in your life, not what somebody else needs to change. Glory to God, Pastor. That was good preaching, I know. I know. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, that's the one that people have a problem with, For my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Guess what? Nothing. If you think money is the answer to all your problems, you're still a lower-level thinker. Money is good. It's good to have money. It's better to have than not to have. You can see the power of money. Go to Cuba see what the power of money does to people. Change lives, revolutionize their lives. You know? But your soul, is there anything worth more than your soul. So now Jesus opens up another situation in my face because he says, okay, I'm crucifying my flesh. What does that have to do with my soul? Because your soul feeds off your flesh. You know, the more you feed your flesh, that's what you're going to think about. You know, you're dealing with somebody that's addicted to pornography, the first thing you've got to get them off is pornography. Right? Or you're going to be delivered, just don't, you know, just do whatever you're doing. It's not going to work because you're feeding your soul. Or, you know, you want to get somebody delivered of alcoholism, so you're going to take him to hang out at a bar. He might be strong for a while, but after a while, guess what? It's, it's, it, that thing's pressuring you, pressuring you, pressuring you. And, you know, hopefully you're strong enough, but if you're not, the soul, he says, is anything worth more than your soul? Because your soul is made up of what? Your will, your mind, and your emotions. That's your soul. Your thinking process, the decision-making in your life, and your emotional area. And I'm not saying, you know, you, we should be emotional people. But we shouldn't be controlled by emotions. We are emotional people. Amen? But those three areas is what, G, what Paul, you know, I'm talking Jesus is referring to, and Paul does a spectacular job when he teaches us this from his perspective. But Jesus is very simple. You can get the whole message from Jesus. It says, your cross is your soul. Your cross lies in the, the decision-making of your life. Your cross is when you are faced with something, was the decision pre 
based on the cross or was it just on a moment? Because the key is here, every time I try to fix my life problems without consulting to Jesus, it is not, it's a soul issue. Are you hearing me? It's a mind issue. I've made a decision, now I'm going to do a corresponding action based on that decision. Because at the end of the day, what I'm teaching you is nothing, nothing, nothing secret, nothing hard. You know why you're here this morning, or hopefully all of you? Maybe some of the kids aren't. You made a decision at some point in your week. It might have been last night, it might have been last Sunday, it might have been years ago. But you may, somewhere along the road, you said, I will be there on Sunday. Amen? You know, I really appreciate you, by the way, Linda, I'm not going to embarrass you. But she drives all the way from Laredo, and so does Ida, to come to church. And so does this wonderful couple that they were beckoned today. (laughs) You know, we're not paying for their gas, but somewhere along the line, these people made a decision. I'm really preaching at the Heavenville crowd now, right? Because if they can drive 50-something miles, uh-huh, you can cross the street, okay? Those watching me on that little Facebook Live, I'm talking to you now. I'm not saying no. I, my point is, it all comes on a decision. The decision had to be made before they got in the car. Yes, Al? You guys didn't show up in your car. What are we doing in the car? I don't know. Let's see where it takes us. Decisions based Are you willing to crucify yourself? Because God will tell you something, and your first thought will come like, that's impossible, that can't be, I don't want to do that. Forgive them. No. Give. Manos. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're just there fighting God, fighting God. And the whole fight is just about you. It's not about me, it's not about the church, it's not about money, it's about you and and God. You know, God's saying, hey, let's do this. No. All right, let's do this. No. Gabriel, bring me another glass of milk. They're not ready. Just put away the filet mignon. That's what's happening spiritually. And then you wonder why there's some people in church that have been their whole life in church, you know, 30 years, and they're still backbiting, fighting, picking at everybody, and then you find somebody who's been hanging around for about 12 months, and they get it. It's not deep. It's not how long you've been in church. It's how quick you decided to trust him. That's the power of the cross. How quick did you decide to put yourself on the cross? Some people took 20 years. Some people took 20 minutes. You know, my process took a long time. I, I don't, don't think I got it. I mean, it took me a long time to a lot of flesh issues, a lot of anger issues. A lot. It didn't take me, even as a minister, I, I still had to process stuff through me. Even recently, I see things in me. So, my, so the process never ends. What the cross does, it keeps reflecting little things. And that's good because, you know, you fixed a few, guess what? There's a few more that God will help you. But every one of them puts you in a place of promotion. Every, if, when you can accept those corrections as the keys to promotion, you won't have any problem with it. Any problem with it. God says, I want you to do this. Yes, sir. I don't understand it, but I'm going to do it. And you begin to move this. So, you know, he fishes anything worth more than your soul. I don't know how you feel, but nothing is worth more than what happens in your mind, what happens in your will, really what happens in your emotional arena. You know, that is you. That's who you are. You're not this. This is just a bodysuit, you know. You are, you are you inside of you, and, and that's what Jesus is saying. There's no, to, from the perspective of Jesus, there is nothing more beautiful than your soul. He created you, a speaking spirit. He didn't create you a human. He created you a speaking spirit before he created anything. And then that speaking spirit, he put, it, he put it inside a thing called the soul, and he wants the soul and the spirit to be in rhythm with his spirit. That's all he wants. And communication flows, and communication flows, and information flows. And now what happens? That transfers into your natural world. And then people bump into you and say, how come you got so much peace? 
The world's burning down. That's fine, not my world. You see that? What do you think about COVID? That's, I don't have a problem with it. That's fine. What if you get COVID? I don't care. That's all, you see, that's all been resolved. I'm not going to walk around in fear of all this stuff. But I had to resolve it first. In other words, just saying things to make people think you're spiritual means nothing. And hopefully I'm not that guy, right? But I have to soul search. Every time I finish the sermon, I have to soul search and say, uh-huh, that's for you too, dude. Don't act like it's not. Because I'm imperfect just like the rest of you. And I hope I don't ever let any of you guys down. But we're all pieces of mud. Every one of us. And God's trying to mold us. God's, God's got us on his little wheel. And he's spinning it. And he's making it. And, and when you just think, oh, God made me this beautiful, beautiful pot. God says, whoa, there's this. And he flattens all out again. And then he begins, I don't know what I'm talking about. In Mexico, I used to see this all the time. Big old wheel and the clay and the clay and the clay. And you're thinking, oh, God has been so gracious. Look at my house, all the wonderful things. Oh, I'm there. And God says, oh, almost, but there's one little smudge. And he flattens you all the way back down here. We come again. That will never stop till we see him face to face. Just go ahead and accept it. Why? Because it's not painful if you accept it. If you fight it, it's the most painful thing you've ever dealt with. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem. As soon as I think I got it, God will point out about 15 things that I got, need to fix on now. I'm sure that's... And I'm saying, okay, Lord, crunch, put the mud back down. Let's keep working on it. We're not there yet. Because that's all we are. And that's what the cross represents. The cross represents that position where you're willing to say, yes, Lord, because that word, my will, you know what? That, that can, that can, that's painful. That's so, so, that's what a good message, Pastor Bob. Until it becomes real. Because you're going to find out how much garbage you have in your will. And how much stuff you're really clamping onto your will. I can just prove every time I talk about money, a lot of you cringe. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not even picking up an offering today. I, could, I really am. But a lot of us do cringe. Why? Well, I don't know because I used to cringe. But just because one idiot or a bunch of idiots made a mess of this, that doesn't mean every one of us is making a mess of it. To me, all money is a tool. But when I pick up offerings, it's the Bible. It's not, it's not my, I'm just, you know, tithing's in the Bible. You want to believe it or not, that's your, that, I could care. I mean, that's your baby. I will teach it. You want to sow? That's your baby. I'm not, but if you still cringe when money's mentioned in church, you got, you, you know, you got a smudge there. There's a smudge. Because this is not about faith. This is about you and you and God. Is he your source or not? Or are you your source? Because the only reason you cringe is because you think you're still your source. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's one of the most beautiful things of tithing. The most beautiful thing is not the 10%. It's the prayer that goes with it. Because there's a tithing prayer. You know that, right? It says tithe the tithing. Tithing was the prayer that was associated with it. And the whole prayer is about recognizing that without God, you're nothing. That was the whole prayer. The whole tithing prayer is about, Lord, we were prisoners. We were slaves. We didn't even, weren't able to do any of this before. But now, God... Who are we and who are these people of what you have given us, Lord? Now, I'm mixing up David's prayer, but this one's in Leviticus. What David says the same thing. The heart behind it was the power of it. It was never the 10%. But you are tied up on the 10%. I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. But those are, the, those are the challenges. You see how they got real quiet? Well, you guys have been real quiet anyway, but you got really quiet now. <laughs> Pastor, but no, no, I'm not saying this. Really, guys, God has shown me that my prosperity depends completely on him. I mean, over and over and over. I'm not free to share all this. Story. Even right before we left the testimony, there was this huge Cuba testimony in the area of money. And I mean, you know, I just got to you know, process a little more. But it's amazing how he does things. 
But it really is a challenge, you know, because tithing and giving is never about God. It has never been about God. It's about been about you and you trust in him. Because we sing songs about trust and we sing songs about faith and we sing songs about going through battles and freedom and depending and he's my everything, he's my all, he's 100%. Yeah, but I need you to give $1,000 to give. I rebuke you, Satan. Because you know I got my bills to pay, my, my electricity, I got to pay for my water, I got to pay for my car, I got to pay for my wife, you know, she's super expensive. And I got to pay for those kids, and I got to pay for their call. My, 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 me, 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 my, 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 me, 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 my, 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 whole little world. And God's saying, okay, that's your world. I could have prospered, I could have fixed all that. I could have given scholarships to all those kids. I could have changed his wife's attitude so she spends less or whatever. But that's fine. I still love you. I still love you. Just don't, don't say... You guys like that one. Maybe I should say it again. Just don't say that that area of your life's been crucified. Don't say, I give you my all, if you don't mean it. Or start saying it if it's a faith statement for you. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe if you could, you know, there's nothing wrong with start declaring it even if you're not there. But don't act like, you know, let me put it this way. God is not deceived, period. Everyone else on the planet, including yours truly, can be deceived. But God is not mocked. Galatians chapter 6. For whatsoever a man soweth, that and that only he shall reap. I mean, that's, that's scripture. In my opinion. You see, but that's a truth in my life. That is a truth. I eat it. I breathe it. And when sometimes people deserve to be treated badly, I have to find somewhere in me not to treat them badly. Because I'm about to sow a seed. On this, trip, on this trip, coming back from, from Cuba, was like the, it was all messed up. You know, we were two hours on the tarmac. Then they sent us back to the, the gate. Then we have to go wait there. And then we got to get, you know, redo all the flight thing. So by the time all that happened, we get back to this hotel at 2 in the morning. And I have to be out of the hotel by 4 so I can go to the new. And then the one, and I, and, and I was, I wish really excited that I man hadn't been there because then I could really gone into the flesh. But I'm just going to say, I'm so tired by this point. So I go get a water, and you, you, you saw the whole exchange. And, and the guy said, well, we're not selling water. I'm thinking, I'm, like, totally dehydrated. It's a little stupid 35-cent bottle of water. It wasn't like, you know, Perrier or nothing. And so I gave the guy a little, a little bit of attitude, but not bad. But my attitude was so sweet that at the end he said, well, if you, wanna, if you want some water, we'll, we'll give you one. And I'm like, I don't want your water anymore. Thank you. <laughs> but I was so close to, like, you know what, Jesus I will re- Can I have like, I'll repent later, okay? <laughs> I just, you know, I was frustrated. I was tired. I was mad because I couldn't, I'm like, this is like the worst, worst customer service on the planet, right? The guy gets some water, just give him a bottle of water, right? Well, here's what's cool. One lady before me, that's what ticked me off. She went in there, got four bottles of water, and she walked off. And I said, well, what about her? So she, well, she took them without paying. I said, well, she, maybe I should have done that. Right? This is going Inside that marriage, to watch me like, okay, we're gonna, this is going to be good. You know? I, think, I, think they had, I think they had their phone on record by now. You know? like, we're going viral, pastor, you know. But those things, you know, tw- 20 years ago, I would have had that guy by his tie. I would probably be pouring. I would probably be baptizing. But, you know, I just, uh, you know, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank, somewhere in there, there's still a little bit of spirit left, I'm sure. Because everything in my, that day had drained every spiritual thing out of me by that point. Amen or no? Right? I mean, I bet the way there's not a whole lot of spiritual left. But you know what? You got to dig. Say, I got to dig. dig. Say it like you mean it. Is this side not going to say anything at all? I got to dig? Because this is going to be prophetic for you this week. 
You're going to be minding your own business, and somebody's going to poke you the right way. And you, those words, oh, i got to dig. You know what that means? The cross. That means you're going to go deep in there and say, no, Lord, I know I, I know I can respond this way. I've done that for years. But today I choose the cross. I choose to put my lower nature on your higher nature. And church, see what happens then. See what happens then. Because it's the, it's the little things that promote you. It's not the big major events that everybody's looking for that promote you. It's just little love decisions. Keep that cross in front of you. Amen? Let me finish. I'm not going to finish this today, but let me go. Give me the next one. We're almost there. That's like the introduction, right? Um, You, read it with me. I think in an hour that I've been talking to you, I kind of proved that, right? The fight is not with Satan. You got to believe he's been defeated. But he has influence with with words, right? It's, It's in your head. So when you decide, says, what is my biggest thought? Well, it's the devil. It's the church. It's Pastor Box. He's horrible. Preaches, well, what is your obstacle? If you, if, you know, whatever obstacle you believe in your life is keeping you back, I can almost, you know, we don't bet here. I'm not making it that kind of bet, but I can almost guarantee or put a, some kind of bet that if you were really honest with yourself, you would find that the obstacle for that cross building is yours. Now, you can, put, you can blame everybody, the boss, the mom, the dad, you know, everybody, but at the end of the day, you have to put that cross up. The only obstacle from keeping you is you. And the more you realize that salvation is a personal experience, it's a corporate event when we come together. But Jesus said very clearly, it's you, you need to work out your salvation. What, and that man, and I, I was, uh, that scripture kind of bothered me over years, so I finally figured it out. Because he says, you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this fear and trembling stuff? You know, God's not the author of fear. Well, he's not talking about scary horror movie fear, but he's talking about at such a high level of respect I don't know how you say it without using the word afraid. Let me find it. Because the Bible doesn't really use the word afraid, but there's no other word that describes it. That, you are, that, you, that the most important thing in your life becomes, I don't want to miss it. Without using the word fear. You're not scared in that context of horror, something terrible happening, but you are scared in the context that you don't want to miss God. Not scared of God, but that, in other words, you want to tr- be very concerned about getting this thing down the best of your ability. Not about what the church sees, because, you, know, Christ, you know, Christians, we become pretty professional Christians really quick. We can, that doesn't matter, you know. Have you all want to dress? Have you want to talk? I, you know, that doesn't bother me. What we need to work on is our own personal time with God. Yeah. How does that look like? What does that, now, you don't have to tell me, because you don't know what my time looks like with God. But I'll tell you something, if I don't spend time with God, I, I have nothing to say up here. Nothing. Because if, if I don't spend time with God, you're going to get a mass dose of Kelvin Box, and you don't want it. You don't. It'll be a bunch of nonsense. I have to spend time for, with God. But I realized something years ago. I used to spend time with God so I could preach something to you. And God jerked the slack out of me. He said, you're messing this thing up. He said, you need to preach to them from your cup runneth over. And I was preaching to my church from the cup. In other words, I would dig into the Bible to get messages. And they were good. And meanwhile, my cup was halfway full. And I was having a bad attitude, and I was in depression, and I was in anxiety. Oh, yeah, messages were awesome because I was dedicating a lot of time, but they weren't coming from the right place. And God said, and he showed me, he said, your cup is half empty. That's why after a service, you don't feel fulfilled. That's why after a service, you've given everything, but you have nothing. Because the only thing I can give you guys, I got to fill my cup. That's my responsibility. Guess what? That's your responsibility. One of the things that Sunday morning should mean to you, not to me, because I filled it, and hopefully it's over. 
coming over. Well, that coming over is to fill your cup. You should come to church and say, I'm going to get my cup filled. But guess what? Tomorrow somebody gets in your face, you pour a little bit of that cup out, right? Maybe you get bad news in, in the mail, another, you know, a little more of that cup gets pulled out. You know, you lose your job, all the cup got poured out. And now you're saying, what happened to Sunday? What happened to that amazing experience I had Sunday? Because you use it. The anointing comes, the anointing leaves, the presence comes. So how do you maintain it? Just fill it every day. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, not my will today, your will. Lord, what's, what's, the agenda? what's on the agenda? I know I have to go to work, but I know you have an agenda even in my work. I'm going to talk about my job. I said, what is your agenda while I'm at work? Who are we going to talk to? Who are we going to bless? Boy, it gets fun to live that way. Because now every encounter, there's a spiritual connection. Y'all saw that at the ship, right? I mean, the last person that we interacted was, they connected to some lady that kind of just needed a little guidance get on her and decided it was sharing. Now that lady, without ever knowing her, they met her on their airplane. Now is interested in our Cuban ministry. And I think, was her husband's a doctor or something? Or? Hello, are you listening? Because Cuba right now needs a lot. I mean, our plan and visions for Cuba is huge. Well, it's not, how's God going to do it? Like stuff like that. You're minding your own business, but you're in spirit. You're not out there trying to be hyper-religious, you know. You're just minding your own business, but you've never disconnected from the cross. You're at your work. You're at the store. You're at family event. You're at a sports event. But the cross is still there. And God will put people and people and people. and pe- It's amazing. Sitting, sitting in Cuba, since I, I, I expect this, I was having interactions with, with I had an older lady, a waitress, and, you know, it was funny because, you know, she, she brought me coffee in the morning, and, and I, I gave her a tip, which in Cuba, not all the people give tips, and I said, Dios te bendiga. And she, she walked out, I said, Dios te bendiga, and she stopped. And she came back, and she said, ¿Es usted cristiano? And I said, si, sí, soy pastor. Boy, she just lit up. And then she began to share, and, you know, in any way, and she, she was going through a really difficult time, like probably everybody in Cuba is going through a difficult time. Well, then she leaves, you know, does her thing. And then God says, she's one of mine. Bring her back. And she came back, and I gave her, a, you know, an offering a out of love. I said, the Lord has placed in my heart to pleasure. Of course, she started weeping. The offering was probably three months of her salary. Those are the things I want. Those are fun. Guess what? After that, every time I sat down, I had fresh cappuccino. You, you saw her at the end, right? The, the, right? She treated me better than all y'all because y'all were nice to her. She, I was nice to her. <laughs> the whole day, she, and every time she, because we'd sit in, we had all these meetings. She had like a meeting out there, then we'd move the meeting here, and then we'd move. And every time she spotted me, she said, Otro cappuccino. I'll never forget that lady. And I promise I'll pray for her. And I might never ever see her again, but guess what? Spirit connects. See, that is not just a pastor thing, that is a living thing. The cross is a beautiful thing, church. I, I know I'm trying to make one point thing. Once you get yourself on that cross, your greatest obstacle is gone. That's it. That's that, that whole point right there. Your greatest obstacle is as simple as you placing yourself in that place where you say, no longer my will, Lord, but your will be done. Amen? What's the next one? I think we're going to stop there because I'm, I'm at a good stopping point. Let me just look at the next one, RJ. Yeah, let's stop there. Let's not go there. We'll pick up that next week. Next week, I want to talk to you about what is really the new creation. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand. And then, Yeah, of course. Let's give you a mic so you can... Everybody, uh, mic, handheld mic. The mic. Go ahead. Um, so, I didn't, I didn't know you were going to share the experience oh, go ahead. that we had at the hotel, but um, I guess because we 
mean, it's impossible, and, and we can only have God in the throne. So, I, I, it was just a good experience, Pastor. Thank you. Even though you probably think you were embarrassed, but it was learning curve that you know what, you're, you're one of us, and you're humble, and you're a human being, you. and we need to respect that, and I don't know, I just didn't see anything wrong, I just know that you were just... She, just, she, she gave me the blessing. Zaida <laughs> uh, got me off the hook. No, I, I didn't sin and go to hell. No, I didn't. <laughs> but you know, what you said is true. You know, we, we, here, and here's the, go, ahead, go ahead and stand up. We've we got we to leave with this. I'm going to pray for this, pick up our, today's offering. But the one, the one thing I want to leave you with, we are all humans. And I, I, I've said this so many times in the church. I've said it in Cuba. I teach it. All I got was what I call the steering wheel of this thing. That's it. I'm not more spiritual than you. Um, hopefully, I'm not more religious. I don't like religion at all. But here's the thing. Our human nature is so fragile. All of us. And we're all facing situations. And of course, they get to see me in, in my, not my, not my worst, but it is, you know, this ministry, like I said, it's, it's, it's intense from meetings to trying to keep people in rhythm and to try to manage things. But at the end of the day, you know, we're not here to please men. You're here to please God. And if you ex, if you ex, Accept how fragile we are. All of us. Just, we're just, you know, we're broken men. We're broken women. But God, out of his mercy and grace, saw our brokenness and said, you know what? And it amazes to me because sometimes he takes the, the things that are the most broken, the things that society has turned into, like you are absolute useless. And he, he just loves to take those kind of cases and make trophies out of treasures. That it's his process. And, I, you know, I want every one of you to succeed. I want every one of you to be at the highest plane of your life. But the highest plane of your life in the world is work hard, run over people, get a lot of degrees, scheme, scam. But in God, it's the exopta. The, the highest place that your life could ever reach is a decision that you can make today. Say, you know what? I'm done. It's none of me anymore. It's all of you, Jesus. And if all you choose to do is bring me to this church to learn, that's fine. But I'm open to anything else, God. And I could see some of you on the mission field. I could see some of you changing history, you know, in, in ways that you have, you can never, ever imagine. So I want you to know, as we go into this series, we're headed to Resurrection Sunday, our Super Bowl. That really is the Christian Super Bowl. Go into there knowing that everything you need to succeed in life, God has it. Everything. He's got all the money, all the connections, all the relationships, all the health, all the wealth. But are you willing to just make that simple decision, say, Lord, I'm done? I'm talking to Christians. I'm not talking. I've, I've had to pray this prayer. I had to pray this prayer even before Cuba because I had a, a whole different perspective of what I thought I was going to do in the future. And when I got to Cuba, God spent some time with me straightened that thing out because my perspective was wrong. Setting your eyes as flint is that decision of quality. Bow your heads. Make some decisions today. Father, thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you, Lord, for what you've called this church to do. But, Father, I pray over our online church. I pray over in-house church. I pray for those that maybe are on the road or stayed home, weren't feeling well. But, Lord, one thing we, we want, one thing I want as a pastor is that this church will only navigate in one place and one place only. It will navigate in the place of your will. I don't want to see ourselves, Father, on our own agendas. I don't want to see ourselves on our own programs, our own God ideas. We want it to be you. We want a ministry that's directed. And fathers, I pray this. I pray for everyone here. I want you to make some decisions. And don't feel bad. You know, if you, you know, it starts with a decision. You might miss it a hundred times, but it starts with a decision. What is the one area 
that God's calling you right now to put on a cross? I don't know. It could be a hundred things. I'm not even going to try to go down a list. But whatever it is, don't be shy. Because at that point, God will honor you with the anointing. God will honor you with his spirit. And whatever you think you don't have to fix it, God will add that part in the decision. And Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for those that are making decisions of quality. Father, we've made a decision to bring you into our life. And I, I look at this crowd and I know, and then, Father, if there's people online right now that haven't made a decision, just make it today. Say, Jesus, come into my life. That's a simple. We don't have to take two hours to pray a salvation prayer. Do you recognize him? That once that decision is made, that decision, all that it did was we accepted his cross. And that's wonderful because without his cross, we can't go anywhere. But now it's time to find our cross. And Lord, we take it. We crucify the flesh. We crucify the negativity, the bad attitudes, the bad perspectives, the lying, the cheating, the scheming, the scamming, all the things that our fleshly nature nature have brought us to us, Father. We don't want them in this place of spirit. We don't want them in this place where we want to hear clearly from heaven, Lord, where decisions have to be made based not on worldly information, but completely based on spiritual information. And I pray, Father, that this group online church, people that will go back and listen to the podcast, anyone, Father, will take hold of the anointing. I'm telling you, the presence of God is in this room. What a better place for some of you to make a decision. Maybe it's about your health. Maybe it's about your wealth. Maybe it's about a relationship. You know, we could go down a long list, but he will meet you there, that you have to die to self. What does that even mean, Pastor? Well, just do what God tells you regarding that. If he tells you, forgive, that's what you got to do. It's not deep. Think about it. The answer, God's going to give you, you know, thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm trying to word this right, but God's going to give you the scriptures that represent the nails for you to kill that thing. It's not going to hurt. It might bother you, but you're going to live a lot better. Lord, we thank you for Faithway. And I just believe you've been imparted something to us as a church. Thank you for our ministry across. Thank you for the next trip that's coming up pretty soon with the ladies team and the children's ministry. But I just thank you, Lord, that without a family, we can't do anything. So I pray for our family. I want to pray for your families. I just felt a prompting. Raise up your hand. You pray for each one by name. Father, I lift up every family represented in Faithway. We are a family as a church, but I pray for their families. Whatever challenges they have right now with wife, husband, sister, mom, dad, anybody that's related to them, I call them blessed. I pray for relationships that have been broken, relationships that have been buried, that, Father, even this very week, as they choose the love walk, as they choose the cross of love, that some of these relationships will be turned back on in a way they had never imagined. I pray for wisdom and direction in everything we do, Father. But, Lord, we thank you. As we enter into these next couple of weeks, as we really, the cross really becomes a central focus, people will talk about it. The news will talk about it. The media will talk about all the different celebrations around the world. But at the end of the day, It's our own personal celebration that we're looking for. What does that cross mean to me? I call everyone here blessed, and I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. Well, you can give the Lord a big hand clap this afternoon. God bless you. Um, You may be seated. I want to, um, I was supposed to do this at the front end, but I'm not used to doing it, so now I'm supposed to do it. The announcements. All right. <laughs> oh, you got slides to go with it. You want it? Okay, give us the announcements, RJ.
I'm supposed to read it? I'll do my football voice now. Oh, nice. Got it? Next slide. I almost tore my arm off, but I had to prove. You will approve, right, Pastor? Like, You can finish now. Um, <laughs> how important is it to 
all the time. Yep. And we need to be giving for <laughs> nobody wants nobody wants to do Kathy's thing. <laughs> Thank you, Yanis. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Good job. See, she gets a hand clap. I don't get a hand clap. That's all right. I want one point that Yanis said, I think this is a perfect time just to bring it home. This area of teaching kids, I know, you know, a lot of us are like, whatever. This is a perfect example about that cross. You know, if God's scratching at an area that you're not really comfortable with, but you know it's the Lord, you better listen because remember the principle, God is trying to get, you, get some seed in the ground. When you give any, any of your time, I mean, it's very clear in the Bible, I could preach a whole hour, I'm not. But when you take the, the children are precious to God. He's very clear. Let the, little, let the little ones come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom. You would think, you know, just, just by that idea, we would have people piled out. They're like, I want to serve, I want to serve. No, that's not the case. I get it. You know, we have long weeks. But all I want to say is that point, if those watching me online that come to this church, obviously you have to be here, any of these areas that Yanis mentioned, you know, there's no permanent nothing. You, but, if, but if the Lord is saying, I need you there, why don't you just check it out? You might find out that, you know, Angie Turner... I asked her to volunteer when, when Laura served so many years and you did such an, and, and she was like pastor and we talked and, and, and Angie was your helper, remember that? And we just said, okay, what do we do? I said, okay, temporary. What was that, Laura, about 20 years ago or something? She's been holding that and she's done, you know, she found something in her calling that kept her there all these years now. And I'm saying, you know, one of the things you, you're going to want to, you have to appreciate that I try very hard to is I have an absolute open door policy to anybody that serves. That means if you, at any point, your family, your circumstances, your life changes, you talk to me and we're done. You know, you don't leave the church. Nobody's mad. I just appreciate the time you gave the Lord. Amen? So, so it's never like, well, I don't want to commit, and then if I can't commit, then people, no, that's not this church. I don't know what church experience you had. Am I correct, Laura? You, you were one of the first people that we went through, right? I mean, that's who we are. We love you. We want you here. And if you serve for a while, I appreciate every second you give to Jesus. But, but don't shy, don't put any conditions in front of you to try to see this, because this is, this is where we're at. Our children's ministry needs some, and if you have enough people serving, you guys won't serve except once every four weeks, once every five weeks. It's not like you're going to be there every, but what's happening is the people that are committed, you talk about loving our church and loving our church family, we need to show some love and, for example, let Betty come to church every once in a while. Because now with a new schedule, she's never in a service. You know, she can go back and watch online, but you know it's not the same experience. So, you know, think about the other people that are serving our kids. Because those kids are not, well, that's the, I don't even have kids. No, if you talk about family, especially, you know how Mexicans are, you know. Our kids are, todos son tíos y todos son sobrinos, right? So, how much more in the church, you know. Those aren't maybe your blood kids, but guess what? They're ki- Jesus' kids. And to, to some of these kids, I could tell you, like, stories that will break your heart. A lot of these kids don't have the background that your kids do. A lot of these kids don't live in the nice, you know, stable environment that a lot of the Christian family. Some of these kids are coming to very, from very violent places, and the only peace and the only balance and the only thing that is really weird to them, because why are people so nice, is that right there. And then from there, their whole week will be full of 
destructive behaviors, bad parenting, bad everything. So that's, you know, you are, you're not just there babysitting. You are giving life to these children. So, you know, really pray about this. I don't, I'm, we're done. Just really pray about this. Amen? All right, stand to your feet. Pray for our morning's offering. You know what to do. I'm not going to spend any more time on that. Thank you. Keep sowing into Cuba. Thank you, Yanis, and all the stuff that's going on with the bingos. That thing in the summer is going to be huge. You, I mean, the, you know, every, everyone in Cuba is super excited about it. So, you know, join forces with them. Let's get them over there, and let's keep rejoicing. Father, we thank you. What a day. What, what a great day to come back home and just the word, the presence, the anointing. Lord, we pray over this offering that it is handled with the respect that you deserve, Lord. This is not about how much. This is not about how less. It is every heart knows where they're at. And, Father, these, these seeds are changing lives in Ukraine as we sow the little we can, that what we move over there. They're changing so many lives in Cuba. They're changing lives in Mexico, as I sent money yesterday to pay for the rent to keep that church open. Father, their money is traveling the world. And there's believers in all these places that are, that are in, in a place of presence because of their love. So every seed, Father, is, is holy to you. Every seed regardless of size, is needed. So I pray for everyone, and I release the blessing that this week supernatural increase at every level, and that you prosper us and you carry us always to the next level. And until I, I see him again, I declare that the peace of God that passeth all understanding goes with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, with that, you are dismissed. You guys know what to do with the offering, and information should be on the screen. And we will see you all Tuesday night. I will be here for prayer.